0: everybody and welcome to another BP movie journal of the show I do where I talk about the stuff I've seen since the last time I did one of these it has been a while and yes it is just me and that's kind of why I'm doing one this week because it's been a while and because um uh if things go according to plan tyler will be back on the journal next week and in order to not make that journal a million years long I need to kind of clear the shoot clear the chamber of all the stuff I've seen since the last time we did one of these um, so I'm going to... This is a lot of movies, but this is going to be something of a lightning round. Um, man, the, a lot of noise outside. I'm already distracted. Uh, so I'm going to just jump right in. I'm going to start with a documentary from 2018 that I watched uh, called Robin Williams Come Inside My Mind, uh, directed by Marina Zinovich. Um. This is pretty much your uh, um, standard, you know bio doc um and so uh as that um i i um i feel like i didn't I, I as often happens with these kind of documentaries i feel like well i know some things that i didn't know about robin williams um but more mostly biographical things that i could have looked up i don't know that this documentary gave us too much insight into in into him um and it also you know it's very celebratory of him definitely like didn't mention you, you know joke theft ac- accusations and, and and other stuff like that i feel bad bringing it up because it does paint a picture of a very like generally nice warm uh, uh man but um uh i i i, I, I can't say that I would recommend it, uh, outside of, you know, someone who wants to learn about Rebel Williams. Um, uh, next up for me is actually a rewatch. I don't always talk about, uh, rewatches, but when it's maybe one of increasingly becoming one of my favorite movies of all time, why not? Um, so I rewatched, uh, Jacques Rivette's Celine and Julie Go Boating. It was my first time watching the Blu-ray. I had seen it on film at, um, CineFamily family years ago before um, that place uh, rightfully got me would out of existence um, uh, but uh, the 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 movie still um, cast its uh, spell over me, which is um, a very um, intentional choice of words given that it is about people going into sort of like enchanted fugue states and and, and, and whatnot. Um, so much of the movie, Selena and Selena, Julie, if you don't know, uh, are, are just a brief outline, the, uh, strangers who become friends and then stumble into this house where they, whenever they're in there, they, um, become caught up in this ongoing sort of melodrama, um, that they become characters, they become like the maid or whatever, and then they, um only remember if they uh um uh, when they eat a certain candy so they don't remember it when it happened later they get back and they eat the candy and it brings the memories back um and so they're kind of like in a lot of like great way of a lot of great art films it's um about uh (laughs) watching movies in many ways it's because they're um you actually can see them at times in ways that are often very funny uh reacting to the memories that we're we're watching as we're watching movie and then we cut to them as if they're an audience like uh reacting to the movie um uh it's uh it's 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 so much uh it's so much fun um and and it's uh quite lovely but uh, i'll say the thing that. Uh, that stood out to me uh watching it this time was how interesting it is because it's only the second time i've seen it so i wasn't thinking about this the first time i saw it because i didn't know what the whole movie was but watching it again and realizing how much of the main story has to do with these jumps in time these ellipses you know they they uh jump from one place to suddenly they're in a cab you know they're reliving memories that are jumping back and forth through time um it, it was very kind of funny to me to realize how much the early part of the film is like without ellipsis. <laughs> like um, when, uh, and now I've already forgotten who's who, but um, when Celine first meets Julie or the other way around because one of them uh, drops her scarf and she like follows her to try and give her her scarf back. We're just like, for minutes on end, just like watching them there's it doesn't cut to like oh she caught up to them. just like watching her follow uh the woman uh through the city um and it felt like a obviously very pointed intentional like balance um uh between that and, and what the movie would become um next up is bj novak's directorial debut vengeance which is out this week um and uh this movie kind of reminds me in a way in a way it reminded me of my you know like i i love the band pulp but i've always had this problem with the song common people um in that it sort of is doing exactly the thing it's it's this the song is supposed to be um uh, lambasting those uh who would romanticize uh, the 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 lower classes, but then it does that in its own way, and I feel like Vengeance is a movie that is I, about like um, coastal liberal condescension toward uh, Middle America, um, but it is it's it's like this fake humility that it's more. It more feels like it's patting itself on the back for being so humble than than anything else um so bj novak plays a uh a, a writer who writes for um, new york magazine and um the, it has a good hook the premise is that he is kind of a ladies man kind of a player he has a bunch of like uh women he you know uh keeps in his his phone under like because he can't bother to remember their names so uh, under under weird things like where he met them or whatever um And uh, one of these women um, dies and has apparently been telling her family that he is her boyfriend. And so he has to go – he is sort of guilted into going uh, to a very small town, Texas, to attend her funeral and then gets caught up in uh, the investigation of of her death and whether it was uh, an accident as it at first seemed or or something else. Um, And it's, you know – Bj Novak's a, a, a funny guy. There's there's some some funny stuff in it, but it like it it still seems like it's so pleased with the points that it's making um, that it can't seem to get out of its own way. The only uh, time it really does is um, at I and mean, then until the end, but I won't spoil the end. Uh, but Ashton Kutcher plays like a local. Uh, um, I don't know, music impresario, or whatever, um, working out of Marfa, uh, which is a you know an artist uh, haven um, in in West Texas, uh, and uh, yeah, he's I, it just seems like Ashton Kutcher. The thing, because I wasn't a big Ashton Kutcher fan when he was new to the scene, you know, on on that '70s show, because it felt like he was trying so hard, he was so eager to please. And he was kind of like doing his version of Chris Farley. And like, it didn't seem like it was uh, original. And now I feel like he's been, it seems like maybe he, at least in this movie, he doesn't feel the pressure to try and be anything. And so he's like relaxed into this weirdo, uh, cool guy role. And, um, but it's also, you know, it's often the case in such movies that I have a problem with where like the role that is least burdened with the things that I dislike about the movie ends up becoming my favorite, (laughs) my favorite role. I think about like how, um, uh, Chris Hemsworth is the best part of the, the 2016 Ghostbusters, um, uh, movie because he's not saddled with all the, uh, the, the overworked plot and, and, uh, and, and stuff. He just gets to be, silly and so ashley kutcher isn't exactly being silly in vengeance he's being weird but he just gets to be weird um no one else uh has to um all right jumping we'll be going back and forth um not necessarily intentionally but um um back and forth between like new releases and older releases um that i that i watched on blu-ray so i watched 1961's hercules and the captive women directed by vittorio Kotafavi. um uh and uh yeah it's a fun very schlocky uh m- movie you know somewhat cheap but also not as cheap as i thought uh, it was gonna be going in like there's not there's some decent uh, uh, sets, but um it does seem like it's mostly just a um, a beefcake movie um, that uh, where Hercules uh, uh, gets roped into some uh, underground secret uh, society cult land kingdom. Uh, thing and it has some like over the top comic, uh, like cartoonish violence. I don't mean violence in like a there's not a lot of blood or whatever. But the 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 fight scenes are um, hilariously. Uh, but I don't I don't want to sound like I'm saying hilarious. Like I'm mocking it. It's it's not that thing of like look how dumb this movie is. That's not what I'm doing. The movie is fun and it was meant to be. Uh, fun and um, uh, yeah it's perfectly fine going to move on to a documentary called The Territory um, which uh, is sorry I have to take a break excuse me um, uh, it's I, I feel bad I like with the Robin Williams documentary like I feel like a snob because for the reasons that most people who come to a documentary like this will come to it, it works. Um, uh, It's, it's definitely, um, but, but I, I I have this, it feels so callous almost to be like, uh, well, this is just a standard format for a documentary, especially when we are talking about something like, the uh devastation of um native lands in brazil that's what the territory is is about um it's about uh how jair bolsonaro the president now i can't remember what the title is of of brazil like one of the things he uh, ran on was that there would be no more protected land for indigenous people in 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 brazil and so uh the the movie follows one particular segment directed by alex pritz um follows one particular particular territory um and the uh already drastically reduced by um by infringement uh, population of of this um indigenous uh group of people and now how there are essentially like you know, uh, eighteen hundred style, like homesteaders coming and just saying, like, just Brazilian saying, "I'm going to take this piece of land, I'm going to build on it, and then it's going to be mine." Um, uh, and I think, I mean, that's certainly, you know, the comparisons between Bolsonaro and Donald Trump are apparent and have been made by by many people. But also, the comparison that I just made between um, uh, what is happening now uh in in brazil and what happened um hundreds of years ago in in the us uh to to indigenous peoples is um uh, it's all there for the reading and so i think um the the movie is um well it's not a fun watch but that's not my uh complaint about it um uh my complaint is it feels like it has a made for tv type of feel um but it's uh uh, it definitely achieves its goals of of instruction um, and uh, the stoking of of anger uh, all right We're, we are motoring along we are moving um next up a uh, movie I was looking forward to and I think I was not uh, I didn't love it but I wasn't at all disappointed by it. Uh, I found a lot to, to like about it. Uh, John Michael McDonough's The Forgiven uh, which is based on a, a, a novel um, well I've forgotten the uh, the um, writer's name uh, Lawrence Osborne is the novelist uh, and it's kind of a, a, a spin on the like rules of the game gossard park type of like you know rich people weekend at the country house um type of movie except instead of a country house in england it's a villa in the moroccan desert um that a fabulously wealthy couple played by um matt smith and caleb Landry jones are throwing a weekend long party um and A couple played by Ray Fiennes and Jessica Chastain are on their way from Morocco, um, and on the road on the way there, they run over and kill a Moroccan boy, and um, that's where uh, things uh, kick off. Uh, John Michael McDonough is not for everyone. He's very his 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 dialogue and the way that he shoots um, and edits can be very. Mannered in a way that can feel not only self conscious but a little arrogant, like he, he clearly thinks very highly of what he's making. Um, but I don't think you know, you say one could say arrogant, I could say confident, I could say he's a confident filmmaker. I, I, um, I, I like his movies. Longtime listeners know that I love, um, Calvary. Um, uh, which is a weird thing to say about a movie that is as bleak as Calvary, but I do love it. Uh and The Forgiven is definitely not up to the level of Calvary or even up to The Guard, which was his his first movie. And I haven't seen War on Everyone, but um you can see some of the same world view at work in, in The Forgiven, as you could see in Calvary, where um like a a transgression has been committed. And things are not going to be right or balanced until some sort of like physical violent retribution is 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 paid out. Um, and and so that sort of like you know it's the the. The boy dies right at the beginning of the movie, but the Chekhov's gun is uh, what's going to happen to Ray Fiennes and Jessica Chastain, or is someone else going to pay the price? You know, which obviously would speak to what goes on in Calvary, and not to ruin too much about that, but um, uh, that sort of dread uh, hangs over it, but it's also a um, portrait of very, very wealthy people that I think I kind of enjoyed that it's critical, but not as damning as I think someone with my politics would, would like it to be. And I found that intriguing, especially I mentioned Matt Smith and Caleb Landry Jones, and they definitely come off uh, at, at first as um, a nearly like homophobic stereotype of, uh, of, 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 blithe and and blithely uh cruel and ostentatious and decadent uh gay men but uh we very quickly realize once the boy dies that they um might be the most like decent compassionate people in uh at least you know among the party goers uh so I, i i like that that sort of playing around with with expectations and and but not again not in a way that isn't earned you know he's um matt smith and caleb lenny jones characters aren't going to come like save the day he's just john mcmahon is just writing uh characters who are interesting and and not predictable uh, and uh yeah so um i don't know i think it's definitely good enough to break the uh jessica chastain hasn't been in a movie i liked for <laughs> seven years curse so this is it from Crimson Peak to The Forgiven, we uh, finally finally made it. Uh, next up, 1937's History is Made at Night, directed by Frank. Why did I why did I go down this road? Why did I say I could have just not mentioned the director? Now I have to figure out how to say his name. Borzage, Borzagi I don't know. But History is is made at night movie i definitely um heard of uh and, and and wanted to see is uh it's pretty fantastic um stars uh gene arthur and charles boyer um also colin clive plays a um a son of a bitch which is uh you know in his wheelhouse <laughs> a, a, a little bit but um it's interesting it reminded me kind of like the the um uh, inciting incident is not that dissimilar to a movie I saw at TCM Fest this year, Jewel Robbery, where um, Charles Boyer is not actually a robber, but he is overhears something and is uh, um, mistaken for a, a a robber, and Jean Arthur sort of goes along with him to get away from her. Ass, rich asshole, uh, husband, um, played by Colin Clive. Uh, and, uh, but so it's a very like romantic movie. Um, and, uh, uh, Charles Boyer, who was also in love affair, which is the movie, the first an affair to remember, um, clearly, had a uh, I mean this is only two movies so it's not a whole career but that's two movies where he um, romances someone on a luxury liner <laughs> um, but uh, the luxury liner part we'll get to later that's kind of the climax is that Charles Boyer and Jean Arthur find themselves on a uh, ship crossing the Atlantic that hits an iceberg and um, they might sink z- sink and die um, so it's, I mean it's uh, what, 25 years after the Titanic sank? I think that's enough time to make popular entertainment about, <laughs> uh, about a terrible tragedy. But um, here's what's really a really weird coincidence. I'm sure other people have pointed this out. That the movie is, you know, referencing the sinking of the Titanic. It also has a character, Take the Hindenburg, Blimp, like, this movie came out a couple months before the Hindenburg Hindenburg disaster. It's very weird how this movie inadvertently touched on two of the major disasters of the first half of the uh, 20th century. But um, it's really about, you know, Charles Boyer and Gene Arthur uh, uh, just swooning over each other, and and, um, they're great. Speaking of swooning, speaking of love, the next movie is a documentary called fire of love, uh, directed by Sarah Dosa. And we did it guys. We landed at a documentary that I love. Uh, I knew this, I knew we could do it. I knew we could get one in this movie journal, a, uh, a really good, uh, documentary. And this is a movie about, um, see, this is why, what happens when I wait so long to do these is I, I forget, um, uh, details. Uh, kati and maurice craft a a couple meaning both two people but also a married couple um who were both who were both uh volcanologists who traveled around the world getting up close um with with volcanoes and uh most importantly most crucially for making this such a great documentary shooting footage of them up close footage of of volcanoes um and uh, we know going in uh, that they died doing this. They died on a volcano in the early 90s. Uh, we also know that if we saw, um, uh, what was it called? The the um, Werner Herzog documentary about volcanoes that I've forgotten the name of, and I'm not going to look it up right now. Um, he also included a section about the, the crafts um, and it's interesting to watch this documentary, having seen that because Her- Herzog, you know, he he treated them not unlike he treated Timothy Treadwell in in Grizzly Man. That there's a certain element of like they got what they were asking for by having too much hubris, by getting too close to the um, destructive parts of, of nature. That's that's kind of that that impression comes through a little bit in in Herzog's documentary, but Saradosa's documentary is very. Um, Uh, Loving and and very um, positive about what they did because they weren't just like daredevils. They were taking this footage and studying these volcanoes up close with the uh, uh, end result being that they would spread this footage and spread awareness. And the idea is to help humanity better understand how to live in a world with volcanoes and how um, to make fewer people die from volcanoes. That was, uh, that, that was their viewpoint. Maybe they, um, th- they're, maybe they were a little bit, uh, cocky or something, but, uh, they didn't, they didn't have it coming. Um, but they got so much beautiful footage of, of lava flows and, and volcano, you know, lava bombs, uh, exploding and, um, the, that footage is used uh, very well throughout the movie and also the movie is narrated by Miranda July and I love I wrote about this in my review which you can find at Um, that like Miranda July very clearly not a professional voice artist uh, and yet there's something so distinctive and um, emotional uh, uh, um, and enchanting about her voice that she's perfect for this like i wouldn't mind hearing miranda july uh narrate more documentaries um uh, it's it's that her sort of like almost like raspy whisper uh is a big part of the spell that this movie casts hey speaking of movies that cast spells uh i'm so glad that i uh Gave in to the hype. I don't know why I describe it that way. Um, but I'm so glad I listened to the hype. And made sure to go to a theater. To see. S.S. Rajamuli's RRR. Which uh, stands for Rise Roar, Rev- Rise, Roar Revolt. Um, a three hour plus historical action epic. Uh, from India. that. Uh, is such a huge... I mean, we've talked a lot on this podcast in in recent months with me and others like me um, being so into movies like Top Gun Maverick and Ambulance, like um, the type of movies I maybe would have looked down my nose at when I was younger, and maybe not entirely incorrectly, but the values have shifted because of what we have lost in mainstream filmmaking that that so much of the um biggest movies the most expensive blockbuster movies are they seem to be increasingly artless they're spectacle but flat empty spectacle um are content and not cinema uh Uh, I don't want to get into the argument of whether Marvel movies are cinema. By definition, they are, but I also understand and somewhat agree with what uh, Martin Scorsese was saying about them. Um, While I don't agree with the verbiage, I guess. Uh, Anyway, so... um, But RRR is, I think, I would like to think that at any time in my life, if I had seen this, no matter how... Uh, cynical or snobby i i was in that particular moment i like to think that i would have been completely blown away by just the 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 scale and the power of the the imagery and the emotions and the filmmaking and the emoting um from the two um main stars who basically it's a uh nt rama Rao jr and ram sharon i think are the actors names and it's um yeah about two guys who find themselves in the same city on competing missions, but they don't know that they're in competing like undercover missions uh when they'd befriend each other, they become besties uh and so it's a um, a great movie about um male friendship but it's also a movie about like people swinging through lakes of fire and like wrestling tigers and, and uh uh just uh, explosions and of course musical numbers and um it's it's uh, an enormous and almost like primal uh tale of friendship and betrayal and murder and evil and good and just all the big things that great big movies are about um and that's, that's not to say that i'm uh rubber stamping the movies politics which i don't really know enough about Indian politics but i know that some people have uh found this particular brand of violent nationalism to be like uh, obviously it's couched in fuck the english the english are the 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 villains and and i'm all for like an anti-colonial uh, uh, message, but I understand people who know more than I do about uh, the politics have have said uh, maybe you know the the people your this movie is aligned with aren't necessarily the best. Uh, I don't know all that. I'm just saying this to couch to make sure it doesn't sound like I'm um, endorsing something that I'm not. Uh, but I am endorsing making uh, colonizers the 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 completely on like these aren't like n- nuanced villains um ray stevenson plays just the you know he's the 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 monster he's the 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 guy they gotta get um who represents you know all of uh, the oppressive um in dehumanizing english rule um uh, but the movie is so big and and and, and so fun um I say um a lot don't i all right. Let's move on to a movie that has the most like art house festival-y <laughs> title. Um, I couldn't have even come up with it myself. Uh, but this is all I'm being dismissive. But I actually really really like the movie. Uh, the director's name is Jacqueline Lenzu, and the movie is called Moon. Sixty Six Questions. Um, it's not really important why it's called that. Uh, the what the movie is really about is. Um, a young woman but a woman an adult uh, has to move back in with her father who is unspecified ill but ill in a way that affects his mental fa- faculties as well as his physical ones um, and so she's you know family comes to visit her mom from whom her father is divorced you know is shows up here and there but for long stretches of time she's alone with her father, except that he's in many ways, not the father that she knew. Um, and, uh, there's a, there's a, um, real beautiful, like aching bittersweetness to the way that, um, you know, it's a common thing when you go back home, you go back even when you're adult, you go back to your parents' house. You regress a little bit. You become a little bit more... You start to fill the roles of the the kid you were when you lived with these people, when you lived in this house. Um, and so we're seeing that happen with Artemis, is the is the, the girl's name, the woman's name, sorry. Uh, I'm saying girl because she like, spends so much time in the movie acting like a, a kid. We're seeing that happen at the same time that because of the the deteriorating uh, mental faculties of her father he's also sort of becoming a little more childlike at the same time and so we're seeing this blend of artemis losing her father and then but also in a in, in a tragic way developing a new relationship with him uh, at the same time Um, the actress name is, uh, Sophia. Oh, why did I, once again, why do I do this to myself? Now I have to look it up. Sophia, uh, Kukali is the actress who plays Artemis and it's a fantastic role. She, um, it feels like, uh, it, it, it feels it reminded me even of another recent movie, a Canadian movie called "An At Thirteen Anne At Thirteen Thousand Feet," and I think it's better than Anne At Thirteen Thousand Feet." But that also that movie also had a terrific central um, performance. And now, to be fair, I obviously have to look up um, the the one who played uh, Anne, uh, Dara Campbell. Dara Campbell. I don't know how you say it. Um, but um, similarly great like physical but also interior like central performance just just fully inhabiting this this character who is strange in time in ways that are alternatingly charming and off-putting um and and still loving the character and not judging the character um there also seems to be i heard about this in my review too um a little bit of a trend Uh, i mean i guess three movies makes a trend right of um adults taking care of their ailing parents uh in in this in this year you've had um noah gaspar's vortex uh and then also uh scott mcgee and david something's uh montana story which which we talked about on the last movie journal i think um not sure why that's uh not sure why that's 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 popping up um but let's uh, let me take a uh, quick uh, drink of water. <laughs> okay, um, thank you for uh, bearing with me. There, um, the, ne- the next uh, movie for me, another uh, a, a big uh, kind of blind spot for me, um, but so one of many. Godard films I still hadn't hadn't seen I've still got uh a, a lot to 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 get to but I watched I guess I'll Americanize the name masculine feminine um I'm sure that's not uh, masculine feminine something like that um, um so uh yeah uh this is this is prime um uh, you know 60s Godard and I I I think its view of youth. I mean, these aren't like kids, but it's a movie about uh, people in in their twenties, and I think I think there's a, you know, Godard's films are generally leftist films, and the characters in masculine and feminine are leftists but the movie is uh not the the characters not just mouthpieces for the movie the movie is uh looking at the characters and is looking at them more maybe clearly than they 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 look at themselves especially since the, you know it's it's easier when you Abstract and the movie is an abstraction. It is fifteen short vignettes from these characters' lives um, that um, don't necessarily have uh, anything to do with with one another or necessarily tell a um, a, a straightforward story um, or at least plot. Uh, but it, there's there's something very Godard in a way that. I love about him and also like can be off-putting at times that I do think he has a, um, somewhat, I mean, somewhat is an understatement when you get to some of the later films, but he has a misanthropic view of humanity, but he still has fascination (laughs) with, with people. And so masculine feminine is a movie that's often about watching people talk that what they're saying is not what the movie's saying. Um, It's not a speechifying movie, even though it has people, you know, talking at great length uh, uh, in it. And I I think that like that push and pull between like, I think Goddard thinks these characters are dumb, but I also kind of think he's not in love with them, but he's uh, he he has compassion for them at the same time. uh, That, that uh that mixture really works for me in in his movies and and so i would uh having having scratched this uh blind spot off my list i would put it in the 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 upper tier of um of godard uh all right, moving on to another documentary. I, because so, I talk about these movies in the order that I watched them, and so they often have nothing to do with one another. So uh, it's weird to jump from uh, 60s Godard to a 2015 made-for-Netflix documentary about Tig Notaro called Tig. Um, uh, and it it takes as it's jumping off point Tig's famous um, set at the uh, uh, Largo with the Coronet um, where she announced that she had cancer, uh, in her set and did an entire set, uh, uh, about that. Um, and, um, it, so it starts from there and follows her through, you know, she had multiple illnesses and a huge loss in, in, in her life with her, her, her mother passing away. Uh, and the movie is about her sort of like, um, coming through all this. And then at the same time, while the movie, so the, that that's kind of like the the movie works for me because I'm a Tig Notaro fan and I just like seeing her be because um, she's very funny but also very um kind and thoughtful and warm at the same time um and I uh, uh I, I really uh, I really like spending time with her I think there's an opportunity missed though in that so much of the movie is telling not showing and part of that is by necessity because the things that it's doc, most of the things that it's documenting already happened. Um, and so it has to be like interviewing Tig and her friends about the things that happened. Like it has, it has to be that to tell the story. I understand. It's not the most interesting filmmaking, um, to me, but the, the, the real missed opportunity to me is that while, um, while the movie is being filmed, Tig is, Developing a friendship that will turn into a romantic relationship uh, with the woman that she's now with and and has since had um, uh, kids with or okay ki- I don't know I, uh, look, I don't know everything about Tig's personal life that's not for me to know everything but uh, and my biggest criticism of, of the documentary Tig is that even though that's happening while we're making the movie I still feel like it's telling and not showing it's all about interviewing Tig and stephanie about the relationship with tig saying i felt this and it's like do were you not given enough access that you could have found this in their interactions found this in their faces um that you were were you not around enough to 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 get the story while you were filming um you still have to like interview them about it after the fact um i found that kind of disappointing but it's um still it's you know an hour and a half a tig so um what are you gonna do uh all right uh <laughs> well just really rocketing from one one type of movie to uh, uh, another um next up is a 1966 um swiss movie called the price of sin or letterbox calls it the uh the doctor speaks out, um, and uh, this is a uh, a movie about abortion that, like, is clearly uh, it's, uh, something weird. Kind of like, uh, sorry, something weird for those who don't know is like a releasing film. Like they release old movies. I wasn't saying the phrase "something weird." I'm saying the company "something weird" was involved in 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 putting this out. Um, on, on blu-ray and it is weird that it's like the price of sin and it's like uh clearly m- positioning itself in the marketing as uh a uh, some sort of sensationalistic uh movie but it's actually kind of a uh somewhat dry and at least in its attempts surprisingly even-handed look at uh, 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 abortion and um these two main doctors who both have, who are on different sides of the, uh, uh, morality of abortion, uh, abortion, abortion debate. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sad that Tyler wasn't here to make fun of me for saying abortion, um, abortion debate. Um, uh, anyway, um, uh, and they so they're on opposite sides, but they also like really respect each other, and they make passionate uh, arguments in in favor. While we see um, uh, women get abortions, safe medical abortions from doctors. Women who are unable to get abortions from doctors get the quote unquote back alley abortions that um, lead to more death and, and suffering. And it just seems like the the movie is just a, a kind of overview in a dramatized way of a lot about this um debate holy christ i still have a lot to go um oh wages of sin is what it's sorry price of sin is the um fucking uh one sheet on letterboxd but wages of sin is what the blu-ray is 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 uh being released as okay Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashback debit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. Moving on to Charlotte Colbert's She Will, a movie that is getting a surprising amount of attention, at least in in, uh, circles that I read, uh, and I don't really understand why. Um, It stars um, Alice Krieg, who a couple of years ago was the witch in Gretel and Hansel and Oz Perkins, Gretel and Hansel, which is a movie that I really liked. Um, and I really especially liked, uh, her performance in it. And she was the main reason I wanted to see, um, she will, um, in, uh, in this movie, she is, um, a woman who, uh, she's a famous actress who has just had a double mastectomy and has, um, uh, gone to this, like, sort of uh, secretive um elite countryside like uh, exclusive countryside retreat in in scotland i think uh yeah the description here says scotland um and while she's there weird stuff uh starts happening because like it was the retreat is on the site where the where um witches were burned in centuries past and so there's this um rumor that the soil has healing powers because of the ashes of the um, murdered women uh, in it that's all very interesting but what's not interesting uh, unfortunately is the way the movie looks it just it it looks very um i guess direct to video is not I don't, I don't know what we call that term anymore um but uh it it looks like a, a Uh, a cheap b b movie um sometimes it's too dark sometimes it's too bright there's a lot of um unmotivated wide angles and um you've also got i'm going to say uh there's a specific revenge plot that i won't get into um but it's uh half-baked and and malcolm McDowell, who's a very good actor unfortunately has to play a i don't know like a a catch-all for a number of um, uh, actual men who have been in the news in the past five years or, or so. Um, and then the the last thing I'll say about the cast, <laughs> that I will be less kind than I was to Doc McDowell, there was a time that I liked when Rupert Everett was in a movie. Now I'm like, oh God, he's just gone so over the top. He's He's so broad in a, in an obnoxious way now that uh, he was a... Not that I was loving the movie anyway, but he was kind of a poison pill for the movie for me. Um, moving on to a 1981 documentary um, called Trances, which is a, about a... We're uh, back to Morocco. Um, a, a documentary about a, a Moroccan musical group called naso gawane i think um but uh um it's it feels like a weird comparison to to make but uh, as a music documentary it kind of reminded me of summer of um summer of soul um from last year because it has a lot of great performance footage that really gets across how fun a band these guys are and how fun it is to see them. Um, but then it also illustrates that there's like, uh, political and legal issues going on with, with, with them and and with their status as a secular rock band. And, you know, in, uh, in the Arab world, um, and uh, uh, yeah and yet, it, like the two things never there's not a jarring like it really like Summer of Soul it's a movie that illustrates how music is intertwined with the world and our experience of it and our understanding of it um, okay moving on to uh, Helena Ryans or rain's uh, bodies 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 I have to say it like um, Jan Brady because uh, I, I did that on the on the fall movie or the summer movie preview uh, and I also have to say it because I'm I, I'm I'm not among the people who are in love uh, or at least enamored of this movie it's a, uh, for, it's a play on slasher movies I won't um, Give away that it, you know it. it the way it, the ways it deviates from that formula um, that I actually I actually do like you know plot wise I like the 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 payoff it's um uh um is a it's a it's a fun movie in that sense but the problem of it problem with it is that it's it seems to be aiming to satirize a certain type of very online like liberal millennial upper middle class uh, uh person that it basically does it by having everyone talk in like twitter speak essentially um and you know talking a lot about things being toxic and gaslighting and blah 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 um and uh all of this while these terrible things are going on, and um, this is clearly like... I guess the idea is that these, these words and these ways of looking at the world have become a uh, um, something to an affectation for points or clout or status or whatever. But it reminded me of, I guess, years ago at this point, um, 2017, 2018. Uh, Todd Solondz made a movie called Wiener Dog, and there's a shot in that movie. Part of the movie takes place at a uh, New York City, you know, liberal, a liberal arts college. I guess it's a liberal a liberal arts college, but also a an art college. Um, people by liberals. Uh, and there's a student, a very like fashionable, cool. Um, probably rich, uh, pretty white girl um, student who's sitting around the student lounge wearing an I Can't Breathe t-shirt. And that that shot is more bracing and I think says in one shot what Bodies, Bodies, Bodies is trying to say in its entire movie. And uh, I just found the whole thing a, a little too superficial okay in the documentary uh voyeur um i've been meaning to get through this for a while because i like gay to uh or at least i'm interested in gay to and the story is interesting um it's uh gay Talise wrote a an entire book about a guy in uh colorado who owned a motel and built a like walkway above the rooms so that he could spy on people while they were living their lives and often having sex is the main thing i think he was looking for um and uh it's a pretty fascinating story um but uh yeah I mean, the documentary is uh i feel like it it sets up like I mean, you have Gay Talese even say a thing like, well, as a journalist who reports on people, I'm kind of a voyeur too. But it doesn't really explore the similarities between the two men. It's um, mostly this guy's kind of delusional and Gay Talese is um, like, and and not in a way that I'm judging, but like willing to let him be delusional um, to get this story out of him um i don't think that's wrong of gage lee's to do as a as a journalist he's not lying to the guy he's um uh, just listening um but uh it's still it's a human interest documentary that um like a lot of these human interest documentaries on netflix will will pass the time uh let's move on to i'm going to call it right now best doc of the year so far, the year 2022, directed by Amelie Van Elmt and Maya DuVerdier. It's called Dreaming Walls Inside the Chelsea Hotel. And um, this is a movie that I didn't know, I'm glad I didn't know anything about it when I went to see it. I just knew it was a documentary about the Chelsea Hotel, based on the the, the title. And I guess I just assumed it was going to be about the history of the Chelsea Hotel, and like why, you know, how many, all the different artists who passed through its doors and 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 why and we do get some of that you know it starts with patty smith uh, that's the, the opening is patty smith on the roof um but then we get to the roof immediately like followed up with the roof now and we realize that now so the chelsea hotel has changed hands and is being remodeled and 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 turned into you know it's essentially being gentrified i guess is um the term but there are still people who live there and have lived there for decades and the movie is mostly focused on the old timers from the art scene often like the 70s and 80s um who still live in in the chelsea and are living while the place is being uh you know disfigured some might say uh, uh, around them and so it's a uh, a movie about how much how much can history imbue a place or how much can a place be imbued by history and what does it take to undo that? I think the question that hangs over the movie is is there something spiritually or, or whatever in the essence in the ether in the in that in that building that will always make it the Chelsea Hotel or when these people uh, die or get you know um, evicted (laughs) uh, uh, will it uh, will it go away with them Um, okay Uh, so uh, absolutely like beautiful lovely uh, movie dreaming walls inside the chelsea hotel oh man finish lines in sight i swear guys uh next up, i'm not going to talk about this uh at any length because i'm going to d- direct you over to the cast of cthulhu podcast uh which i was a guest on because two years ago i was a guest on the cast of cthulhu, cthulhu podcast to talk about um um Stuart gordon's television made for tv made for showtime adaptation of hp lovecraft's dreams in the witch house uh and now there's a new uh movie directed by a guy named bobby easley um called hp lovecraft's witch house that is a modern day and uh uh gender swapped uh, retelling of dreams in the witch house and that i volunteered myself to go back on the podcast to talk about this movie um so you can hear me talk about it at length on the Cast Cthulhu podcast. The upshot is, in some ways, it's the dumb, cheap movie, uh, exploitative movie. It seems to be, but uh, in no, many other ways, there's nothing wrong with that, and it's not actually uh, a, a bad movie. Let's uh, move on to another documentary that I liked. I'm going to say kind of despite myself. Or rather, it won me over. Because it started off uh i started with my 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 shields went up because i was like this looks cutesy and i like cutesy generally uh the documentary is directed by john O. mcleod it's called my old school and uh it's the the my is literal it's, it's a documentary about something that happened and i won't say what at um john O. mcleod's high school in scotland in the 90s um the and and john O. mcleod has Gathered as the interviewees, the talking heads or whatever for this story, all of his old classmates, including the one the movie is about, except that guy, for reasons I won't go into, but will be clear, is if you watch the, the movie, that guy agreed to be interviewed but would not appear on camera, and so they get alan coming to sort of like lip sync to his interview and then the stories that the the different um interviewees and this guy tell are all animated so that that was what i was getting at at first and i was when i was like this looks like trying to be too too clever um but the fact of the matter is it's a great story (laughs) that i again won't um won't spoil it's, it's a great story but also beyond that the movie captures this experience and this feeling of getting together with people you haven't seen in a long time and reminiscing about something that happened when you all used to know each other and be friends and so uh, it, beyond just being a good story it does what I think good art should do is it replicates a feeling, um, and an emotion. Uh, and that's that camaraderie and nostalgia, um, that, um, that I'm talking about. And, uh, yeah, I, um, even though I had my defenses up, like I said, I ended up quite liking it. Um, what's next? What is next? Next is a movie called A Love Song, which um is that next yes a love song uh a new movie from this year by mark no not mark max walker silverman and it stars i love these uh i'm a sucker for these movies where like longtime character actors get leading roles and so this movie stars dale dickey and co-stars west Studi, um and um uh they've both they were childhood sweethearts they um have both since um lost their spouses um and plan to decide to meet up again at a campground in the i don't know if it's did i write down uh where it is it's um um Idaho i think um and uh uh the the movie uh again it has kind of a terse way of speaking that seems maybe a little at first a little pleased with itself. Um the 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 dialogue I mean itself. I'm not talking about the way the movie talks. I'm talking about the way the characters talk. Um, uh, But it does what that sort of like sort of staccato dialogue should do is it it creates a a rhythm. And so the the movie which is I don't know um, movie length. Oh, it's only eighty-one minutes, so that's probably why. I was gonna say it kind of flies by because it puts you in its um, uh, in its in its cadence, and and um, time seems to stand still and and or and or pass very quickly at the same time uh, while you're watching the movie uh, because it has that. Um, the rhythm of the dialogue but also there's like for instance there's on the edge of the campgrounds there's an oil derrick and through a lot of the scenes in the movie you just hear like you just hear it like whining um, and creaking and it becomes hypnotic almost and uh, uh, in a way the movie is also obviously it's about people uh, decades later in their life looking back in a different way than my old school was and uh, it has that that bittersweet um uh feeling to it i I, another it's another movie that really uh took me caught me by surprise and um and uh cast a spell on me over me um all right next up is a movie from 2007 that i remember hearing about when it was new and wanting to see but um kind of forgot about it but a 2007 movie called in search of a midnight kiss uh, directed by alex holdridge uh starring a then not very famous at all scoot mcnary um and uh, this is definitely i would say uh, uh right in that mix of what we call mumblecore um it's basically about a uh, guy who uh at his friend's prodding uses craigslist this is 2007 um to try and find a date for new year's eve so he can he's a sad sack the scoop mcnary plays a sad sack um if you can imagine um and uh he's uh trying to find a date date for new year's eve so he can um have someone to kiss at midnight and uh uh, and he finds a woman uh, meets up with a woman uh played by an actress named sarah simmons and in such a midnight case is basically it has a like a b plot as well but it basically is one of those like before midnight type of like two characters walk around and talk all night type of of, of movies um yeah it's not um breaking a lot of new ground but i'll say there's a part of me that is really glad I didn't see it 15 years ago when it was new. Um, that, that I saw it now so that I could have the experience of viewing it as a time capsule of Hollywood and downtown Los Angeles at a time that I was, even though I'm a bit young, I was a bit younger at the time than these characters would have been, uh, that I was hanging out in. Um, it feels like a movie that, uh, Loves the city. The characters actually ride the subway, which um, happens too rarely in in LA movies. Uh, and um, it's also a here's another refreshing thing: it's a winter in LA movie that doesn't try to lie and act like everyone's like like winter is the same as july or whatever like yeah no it's not there's not snow on the ground you know it's maybe in the 40s but it actually feels like winter in los angeles people are wearing you know heavy jackets <laughs> you know a scarf <laughs> it's um uh, I, I i liked it more as a an la time caps movie than any than anything else but it's still there's a great um there's chemistry between um Scooping and Sarah Simmons that, uh, can't overlook. Uh, all right. Next up is a 1994 movie that has recently been restored, uh, by Ayoka I- Chenzira. It's called Alma's rainbow. Um, and the title is very clever because the mother and the character is named Alma, Alma and her daughter's name is rainbow. So it's Alma's rainbow. Um, but, uh, it's uh, a 1994 like New York City uh, independent film that I'm glad has been rediscovered. Um, Julie Dash is sort of like presenting this uh, um, th- this movie. Um, it's um, it's a mother daughter uh, r- relationship movie, but um, the 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 mom in this case is the practical one, the daughter is the want to be free spirit but also not fully um at ease with herself yet she um uh, doesn't know that she wants to be what uh uh, she seems to be on the path to being um but then her the mother's sister aka rainbow's uh aunt um ruby comes to stay with them and she's an actress and performer and bohemian Um, and, and, and she, um, uh, inspires a lot in, in Rainbow. But the movie gets across, the the movie is not, uh, condemning Alma or glorifying Ruby. Uh, it's a very honest and humanistic movie that manages that very tight, tight tightrope, um, thing that I... I think, the best um, coming-of-age movies do, which is getting us to see the world through the eyes of the um, naive character, but also acknowledging that we are generally more wizened than she is that like, there's more going on that she can see, but we also see it from her point of view at the same time. It's a very difficult thing that only, like I said, only the best coming of age movies do it right. And, uh, Elm's rainbow is one of them. I, I really, really liked it. Uh, all right. We are up to the last two movies. Next was a brand new movie called breaking directed by Abby Damaris Corbin. Um, it's based on a true story, um, very sad true story of a marine, veter- marine veteran who um, held some people hostage in a bank to try and get the uh, veteran affairs to pay him the money that uh, he believes he's owed by them. Um, and uh, John Boyega plays the, the man in, in, in question. Uh, Nicole Beharie plays the bank manager. And Michael K. Williams, the late Michael K. Williams, plays the police hostage negotiator. Uh, there's also a couple of the, you know uh, people of some note in the movie. Connie Britton plays a news producer. Jeffrey Donovan plays a a different uh, a different cop. Um, but I named Jean Boyega, Nicole Buhari and um, uh, Michael K. Williams up top because i think that's the important thing about the movie the movie is uh it 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 does the thing that i uh i love to see in that it's very much a movie about racism and class and how we treat military veterans and 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 um it's about all of these things, but it's illustrating them through character and drama first. And it is no coincidence that the three characters who spend the most time talking to one another are all black characters. John Boyega and Nicole Bahari and Michael K. Williams' uh, characters. Um, it's it's no coincidence that we're seeing the world uh, their way, Um uh, and, and that we're, w- without over-explaining it to the audience that might be, um, you know, me, <laughs> not black, um, without over-explaining it, letting us understand that there are things passing between these characters that other characters don't see. Not that they're hidden, but they literally can't see that these three characters understand what's going on at a at a level that the news and the other cops um, maybe can't, or at least haven't tried to, or 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 haven't been aware of in the past. Uh, it, it's uh, and it's fantastically performed by all of these actors. Um, I mean, it's based on a true story. It's a sad story um it's not like a fun friday night viewing um it's it's heavy stuff but uh i i i really think it's in the tradition of of good um social issue dramas that that don't uh ignore the drama part of of, of that uh and finally i finished i followed up In Search for a Midnight Kiss with Alex Holdridge's only other directorial effort uh, co-directed with uh, Linny Assassin. It's called Meet Me in Montenegro, Um, and it is not two characters walking around a city for uh, one night, but it is still uh, mostly that Alex Holdridge and Linny Assassin star as the two characters um, who... um, had a fling together in the past, and then on chance, uh, by chance, uh, reunite in Berlin and spend some time hanging out together in Berlin. There's also stuff shot in, uh, Los Angeles and in London and, uh, uh as the title would suggest in Montenegro. Um, and so, uh, I don't know if this is 2014. I don't know if you would still consider this mumblecore, probably not, but, uh, if it is, it is the rare, like, globe-trotting mumblecore movie. Um, I don't think it uh, captures its moment quite as 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 well as um, as of Midnight Kiss* did, but maybe I need to rewatch and revisit another seven years or so, and uh, and and see if my opinion on that has changed. <laughs>